So this evening's reading is from Ezekiel, chapter 36 and verse 22, and that's on page 867 of the Pew Bibles. Ezekiel 36, starting from verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord. When I show myself holy through you before their eyes, for I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I've got a prop for later, so that's what the bag is. I'm not going for a walk halfway through the sermon. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for the promises that you made to us that you promise to move among us when we seek you. And we pray now as we we listen to this promise from Ezekiel that you would change us. Amen. Great. Well, I wonder how much you would give for a clean slate, for a clean slate or or a second chance. Maybe it's in a relationship Um, family sometimes is where we look back and we think, you know what, I really wish I had just held my tongue in that conversation. Sometimes it's a small thing, but sometimes we look back and we think, I really wish I had a second chance. Sometimes it's with a client, you know, I I remember emailing someone and thinking, you know what, Uh, looking back, I wish I had just not sent that email. I wish I had just, It's, it's really changed the relationships is now. Maybe it's parenting. Uh, my, my parents recently admitted that they were a bit strict on me as the first child. Uh, I think I've turned out okay, but um, some people seem to think it's permanently damaged me. So, uh, But yeah, for some of us, that might be uh, something we look back and we say, I wish I had a second chance at that. Maybe it's an actual rap sheet I think of driving offences, and you'd think back, you think, oh, so stupid, so stupid. I wish I'd had a second chance. It's a very tempting thought, isn't it, to, to just think that we, if, if only for that, 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 that uh, clean slate, it would all be fine. But sometimes, not, not always, but sometimes, when we say that to ourselves, we are letting ourselves off the hook a little bit too lightly, aren't we? Because often we need more 
than a second chance. Sometimes we can see this more clearly in other people than ourselves, can't we? I used to play football with this guy. Uh, seven aside, we used to play um, every, uh, every week. And every week, uh, he, would, uh, he was actually quite good, but he just refused to pass. He just refused to pass. And uh, it didn't matter what we did. He would try and get around everyone, fail, and then we'd, we'd inevitably lose. And he would be so upset every time he was subbed, every time he was... Uh, uh, you know, not started. And every time afterwards, we'd explain to him why this was, and he'd say, all I need is a second chance. And clearly, he, uh, he needed more than that. He needed an attitude change. Uh, same with driving, isn't it? You know, if you get your three points, you know, they don't just say to you now, oh, yeah, um, we'll just give you another chance. They say, yeah, go on a driving course, right? Go on a speed awareness course. You need an attitude chance. You need more than another chance. We often like to imagine that all we need is a second chance when actually the problem is much more deep-rooted than that. The problem is with us. We need a new attitude. We need a new heart. And the prophet uh, Ezekiel was writing here to uh, the Israelites at a time when they had big regrets. They had big regrets. They must have been wishing for a second chance, because they, uh, they were in exile. They had been uh, taken captive by the Babylonians, and they had been uh, taken off to, uh, to Babylon, which may sound like a holiday, but um, it, was, it was horrendous. This was the complete destruction of their nation. They were being sent to labor camps. Their families had been separated. Their culture had been overridden. This was about as bad a situation as possible. But worse than that, Worse than that, Ezekiel reminds them that the ultimate reason that this has happened to them, that this has been allowed, is because of their own attitude, their own attitude and their own actions. We can read in verses 16 to 21, the verses running up to our passage, how he says to them, This is why you're in that land. This is why you've been taken. It's because of the violence that you continued to enact. It's because you shed blood in my land. It's because you worshipped other gods. It's because you turned against me. And that is why I've allowed you to go into exile. And when we read that and we hear that, we might think, oh, well, that's a really harsh punishment for for, um, for kind of tripping up a couple of times. But, um, but we're only at the end of the story, the story of God's people and his relationship with, with them. Actually, if we read back over the story of, of Israel, we find the same pattern repeated again and again and again and again. Whether we, we read the book of Numbers, which is the history of when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, through the wilderness. Again and again, we see the same pattern. When we read the book of Joshua or Judges, where God brought them from there into the promised land. Whether we read the book of Kings, which is the history all the way up to the exile. The same thing, the same pattern we see again and again. God does something amazing. God reveals himself to them. He breaks in and saves his people in some way. 
They return to him for a while. They're thankful. They're grateful. They begin to worship him again. But then slowly after time, they become complacent. They begin to forget what God's done. And they turn away from him. They start worshipping other gods. They start relying on other things. And then catastrophe happens. God allows those things that they're looking to to let them down. To show them that they should have been looking to him all the time. And then God breaks in and saves them and they turn back to him. And the cycle repeats again and again and again. There are many ways of describing that history, but one of them is, one of the ways of describing the history of Israel is just as a history of missed second chances. A history of squandered second chances. And this is only the latest of the times that they found themselves far from God and in desperate need of his help. I wonder whether tonight, uh, you know, the idea of Israel is quite an abstract one for us, maybe, but can we identify with that? Some part of our lives where we look back and we think, you know what, this is a history of squandered second chances. This is a history of missed opportunities, of being stuck in a cycle. Well, Ezekiel has good news for us today in this passage. Good news because things do not have to stay the same. The story may have been a cycle up to now, but it doesn't have to be like that at the end. Ezekiel proclaims to the people of Israel the promise that the time is coming when God himself is going to step in and change, change things. He's going to break in and end this cycle. Not only is God going to step in and, 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 and forgive them, as it says in verse 25, he's going to make them clean and wipe away the guilt of the past. Not only that, but he is going to step in and deal with the root of the problem. He's going to deal with it at its core. He himself is going to step in and give them new hearts and a new spirit so that they will follow him. Do you know tonight that change is possible? might sound like a silly thing to say, but did you know that change is possible? Did you know that on offer with God is not just second chances, but a radical change of heart? A couple of years ago, I, I was uh, chatting to a friend of mine who I trained with at Theological College, and I, I asked him how he became a Christian, which is always a good question. It's always an exciting story to hear from someone. And this guy recounted to me his story. He said that uh, several years before, um, he, when he had not been a Christian, things had been going really rather well for him. Um, he was, I can't remember whether he was a semi-pro footballer or a pro footballer, but I mean, I've played against him. He's absolutely phenomenal. But he was doing really well in his football career. And he had a long-term partner, which he was really happy with. And um, things were going generally quite well. Except that he had a problem with gambling. And um, he'd always had a, a little bit of a problem with gambling. He always enjoyed kind of betting. He'd always enjoyed, you know, play, placing a bet on the horses or whatever. But the thing that began to take control of his life more and more and more were slot machines. Um, 
Now, I can't quite understand that because I've never played one in my life. But for him, he'd say that initially it was just a bit of fun. He would play a slot machine, like the ones you find in a pub or a fish and chip shop. You pull the, pull the lever, the lights go, that kind of thing. Initially, he'd play that with some friends in the pub after, after a drink. And then slowly, he found himself playing them on his own without his friends in the pub. And then slowly, he found he couldn't leave the pub without playing, until finally he got to a point where he couldn't leave until he'd spent up to 50 pounds on a slot machine. And then some nights he'd come back having spent two, three, four hundred pounds on these slot machines. And as you guess, uh, initially, this wasn't a problem, it was just a bit of fun, but then slowly it began to be a problem in his friendships and the time it took and the money it took until eventually it was really threatening all of his relationships and it, it came home to him that he, he might lose his partner if this didn't stop. And he says one day he was playing um, slot machines and he was in the middle of a game when he ran out of money and it says, you know, flashing, you need to put more money in to finish your game. And um, so, as usual, he walked out of the, the pub to, across the road to draw more cash and he went to the cash machine and he was drawing cash, and as he was, he just, in a moment of absolute despair, cried out to God. He said, Lord, if you're there, if you exist, if you, I don't even know whether you do, but if you exist, I need help. I, I cannot continue like this, but I don't think I can stop either. If you exist, I need your help. And there were no flashing lights, there was no loud voice from heaven, but he walked back across the road, and then when he got to the door of the pub, rather than walking in, he put his money in his pocket, and he walked home. And he says that was the first time in years he had been able to do that. And not only that, the next time he went into um, a pub and he walked over to the slot machines, he felt so violently ill, physically ill, that he had to run out of, the, out of the pub to stop himself from being sick there and then on the carpet. And he's never played slot machines again. And he didn't know God, but he knew God had stepped in to his life. And so he took himself off to church. <laughs> he walked in and said, I want to find out about the God who has broken into my life and has set me free. And that's a big story. It's a, it's a, it's a big, miraculous story. Um, but it's not just Mark that has that story, my friend Mark. It's happening all around us. Three weeks ago at our student night, we had a testimony from one of the girls, um, which, we, which was read out, and I won't share names, but someone was sharing about how they've just seen real freedom coming in their struggle with pornography. And how... Um, how they'd heard a talk about how God wanted to help them and how this was possible, and they'd started putting things into place and they'd started praying. And she wasn't out of the woods completely, but she was just testifying to how she had a new hope for things to change. She, she'd come such a long way. And two weeks ago, Mike Pilavachi was pre preaching here and he was talking about generosity. And he shared with us some of his story about how his father... Um, had, had a real problem with money. There'd been real debt in the family, and, and, and uh, as a result of the way that money had been used by his family, he'd grown up with a, a really big insecurity, fear around money, fear around giving, and uh, constantly worried about it. 
And he told us some of his story of how God had spoken into that. God had asked him to take steps of trusting him and how now he's come so far, now living free of that grip of money in his life. And there are many more stories. And I wonder tonight whether you know that there is freedom available with God, that on offer with God is more than just second chances. God offers us a radical change of heart. And it isn't just the big obvious addictions that we need freedom from. Maybe you do have something that immediately jumps to mind when I, when I say that, but it's not just those things. When Ezekiel writes about this new heart, he talks about a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And that speaks to me of, of softness. It talks to me of, of sensitivity to, to God and also to other people. A new ability to care and to love and to live fully from the heart. And I don't know about you, but I want to live like that. I would love to live more open to people in the world. But we grow hard, don't we? We grow hard. That seems to be the natural trajectory of human hearts. Sometimes you can see it as people grow up, as someone goes from uh, a child uh, into a bit older. Sometimes you can see it as someone grows old. We can see that openness to life and to people begin to close down. Or we can watch as bad attitudes that start just initially as something small that maybe they were teased about initially, slowly grows into the life-defining characteristic of that person. Cynicism, grumpiness, bitterness, envy, insecurity. I think most of us, if we were asked outright, would say that we wanted to live open-hearted, caring, sensitive lives. But it costs too much. It costs too much. Life takes its toll. And it's like we just keep taking knocks until we kind of crouch. We're hurt and we're disappointed by people. And so we callous up and we close up. And I think that's actually only natural. But we can be free of that. We can be free of that. Paul in Galatians says that the effect of God's Holy Spirit when he comes to move in our lives, when we allow him space to change us, is more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I want to encourage us that this is many people's story who have given their life to God. This is many people's story, and I've seen it in my own life. And uh, I, don't, I don't say that to, to brag. I say that on the contrary because uh, I want to use my example, myself as an example because I don't think I am a very naturally kind person. Um, uh, I'm not, I, some people seem to be born wanting to hug people. Have you discovered these people? They just go for the hug every time. I freeze. I don't know what to do. 
it, it kind of scares me. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't think it comes naturally to me to, to look out for people, to care for people. That's just, it, I don't know, maybe it isn't part of my, my, my character. But the thing is, I used to, I think, in a slightly perverse way, I used to be sort of kind of proud of that. You know, like, um, uh, kind of, the sense, yeah, okay, I'm, a just, I'm a bit more logical, I'm a bit more detached, you know, a bit more pragmatic, you know. Surely this, um, you know, this is, this is just, this is wisdom. Surely this is wise. It's just shrewdness. You know, you can't go through life just splurging on everyone, loving it, you know. And there was a sense in which I was proud of that kind of, maybe I thought it was strength and wisdom. Until a couple of years ago, a number of years ago now, I came across a little passage in James that just hit me between the eyes. And... Um, James, in, in chapter 3, he describes wisdom, which was something I was so excited about. You know, wisdom, great, I want to be wise. He describes wisdom like this. He says, wisdom is pure and peace-loving. It's considerate and submissive. It's merciful. It looks for good fruit. It's impartial and it's sincere. And I remember just being so struck by this, trying to be strong, trying to be wise. And here I was being told, I am being foolish. The things that I'm reading here, a heart that looks to consider others, it's attentive to others, a heart that's willing to go under if it will benefit someone else, a heart that looks for good fruit, for people to grow, for things to God to work in their lives, a heart that, that's merciful, that's, that isn't trying to be right. It rather, it, 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 it's impartial. It's looking for truth. These are heart things that I didn't have. And I remember going back to God and, 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 and just saying, Lord, I want these things. I, I don't want to get to the end of my days and look back and say, I was foolish. I want to say I was wise, but I can't do this myself. And then I discovered um, a couple of chapters earlier, it says this in James, chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And I have made that my daily prayer since then, every morning. Lord, and I, give me wisdom of the heart, and I, I have those things on my wall. And I have to say, you know, no big voices from heaven, no flashes of lightning. But I've seen God put people on my heart in prayer in a way that I haven't before. People I haven't noticed. I've seen, um, I've seen I become less jealous of people, able to celebrate when God's doing things in other people's lives more, able to, to be excited about that and genuinely pray for that, able to forgive more easily, living with a, a greater freedom before God. And I'm not there, that, there yet. I'm far from it. If you want testimonials about that, ask anyone I work with. But I'm a, I'm a work in progress. But I am in progress. And that's a different, that's just glorious. I don't have to believe, we don't have to believe that the trajectory of life is to get calloused and hard. But I've come to believe what Paul says is true, that though outwardly we might be wasting away, we grow old, we get sick, 
Inwardly, by the work of God, I'm being renewed. We are being renewed day by day. Jesus says that living fully alive is to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that just isn't possible without help. But did you know that on offer with God is a radical change of heart? So how is this going to happen? How is this going to happen in our lives? That's the big question. Well, it's really important to realize that um, this is something that God is going to do. This is something God is going to do. I just want you to reread um, verses 22, uh, sorry, 26 and 27 with me. And we're going to look at the pronouns. Bit of grammar here, fantastic. 26 and 27 says, God is speaking, says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will, I will, I will. It's his spirit that he puts in us to do this. In other words, this is going to be an intervention. This involves an outside power. It isn't going to be achieved simply by us trying harder. It will involve us trying harder, but that's not all it comes down to. It isn't just going to be achieved by positive thinking or by setting our minds on different things. That's going to be involved, but that's not what it comes down to finally. God is going to put his own spirit in us, and he is going to move us from within. And if that's true, I just want to note two brief things. And the first one is that no one is beyond recovery. No one is beyond recovery. If you think about it, no, no heart of stone has the potential to become a beating heart of flesh. It's not a matter of degree between a stone and a heart. A stone just can't bring itself alive, and it's going to require something a lot more radical than resuscitation. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul compares this act of God giving us new hearts to the very first act of creation in Genesis chapter 1, where God spoke into the complete darkness and commanded light to appear. He says that's what's going on. A miraculous act of creation that brings something new out of nothingness, out of darkness. Something out of nothing. And in the next chapter of Ezekiel, you can read it if you want to, the next section, Ezekiel goes on to give another picture of God raising up Israel. And this time it's of God breathing life into a field of dead bones and raising them up into a living army for himself. Death. Out of death, life. Our God is a God of miracles. He's a God of miracles. He's the God who creates light out of darkness. He's the God who brings life out of death. He's the resurrection God. And he's the God who turns stone hearts into flesh. And this is good news. This is good news. Because if it's a miracle, an act of new creation, then it doesn't matter how, hearts, how hard our hearts have become. It doesn't matter how far we've 
fallen. It doesn't matter how many times we've been round the block. Nothing can stop God from claiming us for himself. And no one is beyond recovery. I think the big challenge maybe for some of us tonight is just going to be to begin to hope again. To begin to hope again. To stop writing off the possibility that things might be different in our lives. That God could break in. Maybe tonight you feel that you are damaged goods in some way. Like, surely God's not interested anymore. That's not true. Maybe it's habits or behavioral patterns that you just can't get rid of. It could be one of the big things that we might, it might jump to mind. We really know we need help with. Or it could be something small, like gossiping, complaining, bad temper. Maybe we're aware of it, but we've given up hope of it being shifted. Maybe it's something that's too painful. We feel like it's something like forgiveness. It's so painful to reapproach it. And we kind of we just keep telling ourselves, it's never going to change anyway, so I'm not, I'm not going to face it. Maybe you just feel you don't have the energy anymore. And it's taken all your energy to just get this far and you're about to quit. Maybe it's somebody else that you've stopped hoping for. Now, I don't want to suggest that God always swoops in and delivers us instantaneously. He can do that. Do that. He does do that sometimes. He did it for my friend Mark. I know others for whom he does it. Sometimes, though, it takes time. Sometimes he works on us to the last breath. And I also don't want to suggest that this won't involve us exerting ourselves. We are involved. He gives us new hearts. We still make decisions. We still choose. We still put things into practice. But nonetheless, because this is something God says he will do, and none of us is beyond his miraculous resurrection, light from darkness, power, no one is beyond recovery. And that brings me to the final thing. If, if this is something God is going to do, not something that we on our own do, then we have to ask. What else can we do but ask? In John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman by the well, he says to her, talking about the Holy Spirit, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If only you knew, if only you'd asked, I would have given you living water. And again, speaking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in Luke 11, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your, if your son asked you for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give you a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And I want to say, and I've been waiting this for my moment I want to say 
The Holy Spirit is not like a first aid kit. The Holy Spirit is not like a first aid kit. You know, first aid kits, um, they're for emergencies, right? You keep them in the corner, um, but you really don't want to use them. Uh, you want to save them. Um, you want to avoid using them because uh, you, wanna, you don't want to deplete them. If you, if, you, if you need one, it's bad in the first place, and then, and then you use it and you deplete it, then you might not have something else for the future. And I want to say that some of us um, might think that the Holy Spirit is a bit like a first aid kit. We think um, asking God to give us his Holy Spirit is only for emergencies. It's only when like, everything's gone wrong and we're at our last wit and now suddenly I just need a shot in the arm. And even then, uh, oh, it's only just to get me back on the road, you know, just a tourniquet to kind of, you know, get me back, and then I'll, I'll, I'll cope for myself after that. Or we might think that there's limited stock, you know. We might feel embarrassed about coming to God and asking for his Holy Spirit, you know, like it's, like it's going to cost him something, like he's got a tick sheet there. How many times has he oh, my word, come on, five times in a month? Sometimes I think we, we feel like that. Oh, oh, guilty. Lord, I'm sorry I need your help again. We're embarrassed about it. But first of all, I want to say, we always need God's help. We, we always need God's help. There's never a moment we don't need God's help in big ways or small ways. Jesus, when he, he invites us in Luke 11, he compares asking for the Holy Spirit to asking for bread and fish daily bread. We always need God's help. And secondly, that's not a problem. That's great. That's the way it's supposed to be. I don't know whether you've cottoned on to this, but God and us are not in competition. We are meant to live life leaning on God, leaning heavily into him, asking for his spirit each day. And God is not begrudging us that he loves that. That is the way it is supposed to be. He, he longs that we would ask him for new hearts. We'd, he'd long that daily we'd ask him to set us free. He loves to give us his Holy Spirit. He's a good father and he loves to give us good gifts. In Galatians, uh, Paul uh, writes that Jesus came to redeem us so that by faith we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus came to redeem us, to die for us, so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. That was the end game. Jesus um, came so this promise in Ezekiel would be fulfilled for us. He came so that we'd be forgiven, as it says there, that we would be set free from guilt in the past, that it would be wiped away. But it didn't just come just for a second chance. He came also that we might have the Holy Spirit, that God might claim our hearts for himself, that he might set us free from the things that control us, that might soften us, that might move us to follow him. God isn't just content loving us. He wants us to be a people who love him in return. 
So how do we respond to this promise as we end? How do we, how do we respond, to, respond to a passage like this? How do we show that we trust that we need help and that God wants to bring it? How do we, how do we, how do we show that we trust that no one and no situation is outside of God's redeeming power, his resurrection power? And one way is just to continue to ask. To ask. By refusing to give up hope. By refusing to walk away. By refusing to shut the door on God. And to keep on asking. To keep on coming for him saying, Lord, I need my daily bread. I need my daily bread. I need my daily bread. And to keep asking until we receive it whether that be in the moment, like my friend Mark, whether it be in a week's time, a year's time, or whether it's on that final day that we see Jesus face to face and he totally has renewed our hearts and set us fully on him to say, Lord, I'm going to hold on to this promise that you are for me and you want not, my, not just my life but my very heart. You are able to do that. It's to continue and continue and continue to ask him until he answers. So I'm going to pray to finish, and I'm going to ask him that. Father, it's a bit scary to find out that you are sovereign not only of the world and over world events, but also over our very hearts. But it's also glorious. Lord, we thank you that you are so good We thank you that you are able to bring us back to life, to set us free. And in response to that, what else can we say, Lord, but come? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, and set us free. Come, come now, Lord. And replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. And move us by your spirit to live and work for your glory. Amen.